Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hi, I'm Christina Cho, the author of Mooncakes and Milk Breads, filled with my favorite recipes inspired by Chinese bakers of my childhood. I can't wait for you to bake from it. Before diving into this book, I'd like to thank my new sponsor, Bloomist. Bloomist creates and curates simple, sustainable products that inspire you to design a calm, natural refuge at home. I'm excited to announce they've just introduced a new tabletop and kitchen collection that's truly stunning. Surround yourself with beautiful elements of nature when you're cooking, dining, and entertaining, and make nature home. Visit Bloomist.com and use the code COOKERY20 to get 20% off your first purchase, or click the link in the show notes. Now on with the show. In Mooncakes and Milk Bread, you wrote, Chinese bakeries are not something to be discovered. They're not something new and trendy, but a beautiful facet of Chinese American life. Chinese bakeries have been around for a long time and deserve time in the spotlight. I think this is the first book of its kind dedicated to Chinese bakeries, if I'm not mistaken. You are correct. Yes, there's nothing really out there that comprehensively covers a lot of the iconic baked goods from Chinese bakeries. So this is, yeah, definitely the first one. Did you know that when you set out to write this cookbook? I did a little bit of research and I had a feeling that it didn't really exist because I myself have been baking or teaching myself how to bake since I was in middle school. Um, And over the years, I definitely didn't see myself or like the type of food and recipes that my family love represented in any cookbook and there weren't that many recipes online. Again, there's something different about holding something that's so comprehensive and has all the things that your family loves in one book. Um, So as I started kind of researching for my book proposal and thinking about the book idea, I quickly realized that there wasn't anything comparable. Let's go back to the late 1960s when your grandparents moved from Hong Kong to Cleveland. Back in Hong Kong, your grandfather was a school teacher and calligrapher. But when he came to the U.S., he decided to learn how to cook and worked in kitchens. And his first job was to make endless trays of almond cookies. Can you talk a little bit about these almond cookies that are on page 192? And you didn't learn he wanted to be a baker until you started writing this cookbook. It's a really interesting series of events. I never thought that I had much of a baking history within my family. I grew up in a Chinese restaurant family. So we had a lot of great savory cooks around. And that's probably where I feel most comfortable Um, But baking was something that I took on for myself and learned how to do while I was in middle school and throughout the years. But yeah, my grandpa always has a tendency to want to teach things, I think, because he was a school teacher. And when he first moved here, he worked in restaurants. It's a very kind of common career path for a lot of immigrants because it's it's an accessible way for them to make a living. And I did not know that he, for a period, was thinking about becoming a baker. I knew that when he was thinking about starting his own restaurant after just kind of working in back of house for a while that he went back to Hong Kong, took a few classes in making dim sum, but I didn't know he also tried to attempt to make breads and buns and things like that. Uh, And it was just something that my mom and my grandma told me as I was testing recipes for this book. Almond cookies are a very cherished recipe for me because I think it's one of the few 
again, baking memories that I have with my grandpa. He never really made them while I was growing up because he kind of retired his baking days once he started working more full-time running his own restaurants. And when I was... I guess 17, right before I went off to go to college, I asked my grandpa if we could like make these infamous cookies because I just have heard about them throughout the years and never really ate them. Um, And so he came over to our house and he had this little kind of crumpled up piece of paper that had Chinese characters on it and it was a recipe, um, but it was scaled up to make, I don't know, like a million cookies or something like that. So we had to like kind of figure out how to like scale it down and make it feasible in our residential kitchen and make like a dozen or two dozen cookies. And we made them and they're so good. It's still kind of a fuzzy memory for me because it's it's been a while, but I just remember them being like so buttery and the most amazing kind of crisp exterior texture of nice chew in the middle. And I always fondly look back on that memory because it was one of the last times I was in the kitchen with my grandpa. A few months after that, his health deteriorated and he, he ended up passing away um, a few months after that. And so, yeah, it's a very sentimental memory and also recipe for me. Do you feel connected to him in a way because in college you studied to be an architect, but cooking kept pulling you back? And then your grandfather was a school teacher and calligrapher and uh, baking kept pulling him back. I think so. I think there's a lot of really interesting parallels between him and I. And there's something really wonderful about this recipe because every single time I bake it or Literally, if I just like think about these cookies, I think about him. But yeah, I think you're right. Like while I was through college, like there was always something kind of pulling me back to food. Like obviously he instilled in me like a really deep passion and appreciation for being in the kitchen and cooking. And I think I I just kind of carry on his, I don't know, like adventurous spirit in a way. I think he always wanted me to kind of have a very like linear career path just because that's just like what grandparents want you, you know, they want you to have a secure career path and way to like make a living. But he also also kind of left a country, left his job to do something completely different, become a self-employed business owner a few years ago when I quit my job to fully dive into food. And I think about how my grandpa did that. He did something that he really loved to support his family and involve food. And so, yeah, I see a lot of parallels between him and I. The beginning of Mooncakes and Milk Bread is a bit of a love letter to Cleveland's Chinatown. It was teeny tiny, but it felt like home. But what you lacked for years was a standalone bakery. In Cleveland Chinatown for a long time, it was fairly small when you compare it to the Chinatowns in, say, like Chicago, New York City, or San Francisco. Um, And my grandparents literally lived one block away from it or just in the heart of Chinatown. And I remember when I was very young, all we really had was a dim sum hall, maybe two Chinese grocery stores and a few kind of like standalone restaurants. And over the years, it's slowly kind of developed more and more grocery stores, more restaurants and things like that and has become more of a uh, destination. But we didn't have a bakery for a very long time. Now there is one there. Um, But I remember in the one of the Chinese grocery stores, they had a bakery case. It was the size of a closet. And uh, I think they had a baker in the back that would uh, supply it every day or so. Um, But that was really the only option that we had if we ever had a craving for like our favorite bakery buns, like pineapple buns or cocktail buns. I have a lot of memories going on road trips with my family. We went to Chicago a lot because it was only six hours from Cleveland. But we went on road trips to Chicago, Toronto, Washington, D.C., whatever we could manage in a day. And a lot of times they had Chinatowns and our first stop would always be going directly to the bakery to stock up on buns so that we can have them 
for breakfast. It was the last place we would go to uh, as we were heading home so that we could bring some back as well. So a lot of my family trips were kind of bookended by going to a Chinese bakery. Okay, you just brought up the pineapple bun. And I Mm -hmm. just learned that there's no pineapple in the pineapple bun. Well, it comes out looking sort of like a pineapple. It's a very common assumption. You know, you would assume that a pineapple bun has some pineapple in it, but there is not. I've been meaning to make an actual pineapple bun, maybe stuffing the bread with like a pineapple jam or a curd or something like that in there. A pineapple bun is really just the milk bread based bun. And the top is a kind of cookie like dough that when it bakes, it either naturally cracks or a lot of times uh, you can score it into that crisscross pattern to resemble the pattern and texture of a pineapple. I swear it tastes like pineapple. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe just a mental thing. You like take a bite. Yeah, I can feel the tropical vibes. So at the peak of your creative frustration, you started a food blog, eatshowfood.com, to document your ongoing kitchen adventures, and haven't we all done this, and to prove to your mom that you were able to properly cook for yourself. Yes, I did. That was uh, one of the original intents. And also maybe to prove to my grandma that I can cook for myself, although she doesn't know how to use a computer. Uh, But my my mom will (laughs) relay all of my adventures and updates to her. But I think up until a year ago, my grandma would keep asking me like oh like do you know how to cook can you feed yourself okay and that was like while I was writing my cookbook I'm like yes grandma I I can handle it I can handle it (laughs) um but yeah eat your food started a few years ago when I was pretty unhappy at one of my um, architecture design jobs. And I remember I was just in the middle of a lot of more technical meetings. My The building I was working on was under construction and I didn't feel creatively fulfilled. I felt like I was just kind of coordinating and talking on the phone with people all the time, which I understand that's a very normal job for people. But um, I technically did start Icho Food um, while I was in college in the form of a Tumblr, which I don't know if people still use that anymore but I use the Tumblr to kind of upload like random meals I made during college but a few years ago is when I officially made eatrofood.com I made it more of like a more robust website I guess like more legitimate now it has become my full-time job somehow I look back on it and I, I can't really believe that it actually happened so I think your blog really took off when you posted the recipe for Chinese bakery style hot dog flour buns, and you were yeah. inundated with requests for more Chinese bakery bun recipes. And then you had an aha moment. I should write a cookbook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have. I I owe a lot to those hot dog flour buns. Um, the hot dog flour bun was one of my favorite buns as a kid. Um, I think as a kid, you're like, yeah, I want a hot dog. Like that's all I want. And it was also like a very cute shape. And I I liked how you could eat it like petal by petal. But yeah, that was kind of the beginning of mooncakes and milk bread. I think when I posted it, I realized that it kind of struck a chord with a lot of people that they wanted more of that kind of style of baking. So yeah, that was my aha moment. Can you describe the recipes for mooncakes and milk bread? So mooncakes and milk bread, I think that combination is really interesting uh, just to explain because it's a comparison of like mooncakes, which is a very traditional Chinese pastry with milk bread, which is more of a contemporary or newer recipe in the context of Chinese food. Um, so I wanted to kind of have those two 
as the star title baked goods to kind of show the variation in a lot of the recipes in the book. Uh, so mooncakes are a traditional pastry that's made typically during mid-autumn festival slash harvest moon festival. There's a lot of different styles of mooncakes out there, depending on like where you are in China or where a family is from. Every region has their own specific style of mooncakes. I grew up with the Cantonese style mooncakes, um, where you have a kind of soft and chewy exterior crust. The best thing I can compare it to is kind of like a fig Newton and the outside is that dough and the inside is typically filled with a sweet like red bean paste, black sesame paste, white lotus paste, all super common. Sometimes uh, it's filled with mixed nuts uh, and a lot of times the center has a salted egg yolk inside. A lot of people love it. I, I, and I know some people don't like salted egg yolk, but I, I love the salted egg yolk inside of moon cakes and the moon cake is put into a mold either like a plastic mold or a more traditional wooden mold and it's imprinted with a pattern on there so they look really really beautiful um sometimes the imprints have like well wishes carved in there or just literally tells you like what flavor moon cake this is and they are meant to be shared they're pretty dense. Uh, it's kind of hard to eat a full mooncake. Well, I, I've done it before, but typically you're supposed to uh, cut it into wedges and share it with your family because that's kind of the spirit of the mid-autumn festival. It's about togetherness, your family sharing. So yeah, so mooncakes are a small little pastry to be shared with uh, your closest loved ones. And then milk bread is, I mentioned before, a little bit more of a modern bakery item modern meaning in the last like I feel like it since like the 60s or probably earlier than that but milk bread is very similar to like brioche or challah it's an enriched bread dough it has milk in it obviously for um the name milk bread and has eggs and butter um and it's a really soft squishy bread that's like a little bit sweet but it's on that kind of like sweet line where it can work in a savory application, like being stuffed with barbecue pork or loaves of milk bread are great for making grilled cheese. Like I'm going to make one later this afternoon because I have some milk bread. Um, but it's again, sweet enough that you can fill it with like red bean paste or just like a swirl of Nutella in there. And it's just really wonderful, versatile bread that stays really soft for a long time. It's like a better brioche. Yeah, I think so. I know there's a lot of brioche fans out there and I love brioche too, but uh, there's something about milk bread that's so light and airy. And you can kind of just keep eating it forever. Yeah, it's, yeah I was just going to say, it's so easy to eat. You can just keep yeah. shoveling it in. It's so good. Especially so, when it is fresh. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So my favorite local bakery here in Greenwich Village is Feda. And I oh, yes. was excited yeah. to see you included it in the cookbook with a photo and everything. I love yeah. that place. Yeah, Feda is wonderful. Before I go to the airport, I always try to like find a bakery, whether it's a Chinese bakery or not, but I was like, I need a snack to <laughs> take with me on the airplane. And a lot of times I would stop at Feda because there's so many, depending on where you're living or where you're going. Like I think they have 13 locations now. So what do you get at Feda? My favorite technically is a cocktail bun or gaime bao. And it is a milk bread bun that's filled with coconut, butter, sugar, 
a little bit of flour. It's like a cookie inside of a bun. So I always get that at pretty much every bakery that I go to. And then I also get a pineapple bun, my second favorite. It's really hard to like say favorites here because I love all of them. And then I like to see what kind of new seasonal thing that they have. When I was interviewing the owner's daughter for the book, they talk about how they do a lot of kind of like research and development have like different buns each week. And so like, maybe they'll have like a jalapeno cheesy bun or something like that. And if it's like something new that I haven't seen before, like I'll grab it for the sake of research. Like I just have to know. You have to do it for the people. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's my <laughs> service to everyone to right. try all these You buns. just keep giving and giving. Yeah. So they have this, and I don't know if it's what you were talking about. I call it a coconut cream bun. It is amazing. Mm -hmm. I think I know what you're talking about. Is it kind of like split down the middle? Yes. Yes. So I have a, I have a version of that in the book too. I think that's why the coconut bun that I really love, it's more commonly called cocktail bun because they have this other (laughs) coconut cream bun. Um, But that one's really good too. That's one of my mom's favorite because she loves whipped cream. Their pork buns are really good there too. And Mm -hmm. I always get a birthday cake. Yes. Yeah. They're known for their birthday cakes too. I was always really resistant to the Chinese bakery style birthday cakes because I wanted like a grocery store birthday cake that was like really chocolatey with like a lot of buttercream and stuff. And now I can't handle it. And I'm just like, I just want a Chinese bakery cake every year. I think what I love about Chinese bakeries is the soft buns as opposed to a French or Italian bakery. And also I love the community aspect of it. At my Feda, there are always a few tables of what I assume to be old friends in their regular Mm -hmm. spot drinking coffee. And Mm -hmm. it's just a great place to catch up. Yeah, it has it has kind of like a diner feel to it. It's like a community gathering spot for like the grandparents to grab a tea and have buns and gossip of each other. Whenever I try to like paint the picture of a bakery, I always talk about how you hear it before you actually like get close enough to like see it because you can kind of hear the chatter of Cantonese through the doors of people just kind of gossiping very loudly. That's a very important part of a bakery environment. <laughs> so you spoke with bakery professionals all over the country. Did you find they had things in common? I have five feature bakery features in my book. I think what connected them all and was probably the reason why I, I asked them if they wanted to be featured in my book was that they're all such long standing establishments like the Eastern Bakery in San Francisco. That I talked to was like the oldest bakery in uh, San Francisco Chinatown, Phoenix Bakery in LA. They're also one of the oldest businesses in Chinatown. And so I think a lot of them had that kind of long standing history and also an incredibly loyal customer base. I did all the interviews except for one during the pandemic, and they spoke a lot about how their loyal customers are the sole reason of why they still have their doors open during a very, very hard time for restaurants and especially businesses in Chinatown. Um, And so I think they all have resiliency and obviously incredible baked goods that people still keep coming back for. You asked bakery owners what their top selling item was among non-Asian customers. And what did they say? The most common answer was Chinese barbecue pork buns. And I don't blame them. Barbecue pork buns, whether they're steamed or baked, are incredibly delicious. And I think people really love them because they kind of 
I, I guess like transcend a lot of cultural recipes, you know, like it reminds me of when you go to like a barbecue place and you get that soft, squishy, like bread or toast on the side. Um, but instead this is all encapsulated into one bun. Now to my segment called dream dinner party, where I ask you, who would you most want to invite to your dream dinner party and why? And for this segment, it can only be one person. Right now, in this moment, I would love to have a dinner party with Allie Wong, the comedian. I love her. Uh, I love her. I always see her going to my favorite dim sum spot. It's like a hole in the wall called Good Luck Dim Sum. I remember I went there on a Saturday. I saw a picture of her that she went there on Sunday and I was like, dang it, just missed her. So I've always wanted to like see her or like meet her at Good Luck Dim Sum. So I would love to have her over for dinner and talk about why we love the same dumplings. I signed up for your shiny fruit cream cake Zoom class, hard to say, (laughs) on November 6th, and I can't wait. Tell us a little bit about your workshops. Yes, I love teaching my workshops. Uh, In my Zoom classes, I like them to be very interactive. I always encourage people to like turn their cameras on. You don't need to be on mute the whole time unless you have like a really loud house, but ask questions like we can chat with each other. I like to create an environment where people feel like we're all in one big kitchen together because that's ideally what I would want it to be like, where we're just baking and chatting and having a great time. I'm really excited for the shiny fruit cream cake Zoom class. (laughs) It's hard to say. Um, I'm really excited for that class. I'm hoping that within two hours, we can bake some sponge cakes, cool them down, and then cover them whipped cream and fruit. So, um, so far, all my classes are keep within about the two hour hour mark, but that's always my fear is that it like runs a little late, but it's, it's always because of a good reason. We're just having too much fun talking to each other. Where can we find you on the web and social media? My website is eatchofood.com. My Instagram is also eatchofood. Um, let's see. I also uh, begrudgingly have a TikTok that is eatchofood.com. So you can find me there as well. To purchase mooncakes and milk bread and support the podcast, head over to cookerybythebook.com. And thanks, Christina, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Oh, you're so welcome. It was so fun to be here. Follow Cookery by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.